For years, uh, the SA Foundation has been one of the missions that we uh, support, and then occasionally, every year or so, we have uh, uh, representatives come and keep us up to date on the latest work, and so we're very glad uh, today to have Melanie uh, with us, and uh, she will explain uh, the ministry and where uh, things are at and how we can continue to participate and so on. So welcome, Melanie, for us, if you would. Good morning. Everybody can hear me okay? We're good. Awesome. Um, as Pastor Allen said, my name is Melanie Michaud, and I am the Alberta Ambassador for the SA Foundation and here in Alberta. I actually came from Calgary this weekend to join you all. Um, I think this is the fourth time I've been in Grand Prairie hosting events and talking with you about the importance of the work of the SA Foundation. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a young mom, or a young mom. I am no longer a young mom, as you can see. <laughs> I'd like to think I am a young mom, but I am not. I have two children who are university age, and um, I've been able to volunteer with the SA Foundation for over a decade, just highlighting the issue of human trafficking, but mostly highlighting the good work of the SA Foundation. So for those of you, uh, you that don't know the SA Foundation, I know that this church has been instrumental in the work of the SA Foundation, supporting us for so long, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but for those of you that might not know, the SA Foundation is a program that was developed and started right here in Alberta and is now in eight countries around the world, providing recovery, safe housing, job skills training, counseling, for women and their kids that are able to escape the sex trade. For those women and their children, if they have children who are caught up in prostitution. And we provide a way out for them. So that is who the SA Foundation is, and that is what we are doing. And your church has been instrumental in helping us to start our first international program in Nepal over a decade ago. And I'm excited to share with you some updates as to what we are doing now and where we are going. But first, many of you might not actually be all that familiar with the issue of human trafficking. Um, I have a definition that we can put up on the screen and it's kind of a formal one. Human trafficking is when you know one person is kind of recruited, manipulated, tricked, and maybe transported, possibly physically, into a different area and forced to do labor or be exploited sexually um, and, to, and to do those things without, often without an avenue of escape, often without control of what they perceive or what they can do in their lives. So that's the kind of the formal definition there. But let me tell you a few stories about what human trafficking look like, what looks like. Human trafficking looks like a young girl in a city maybe a small town, whose boyfriend um, tricks her into actually going into hotel rooms and performing sex acts with strangers in order to fund their lifestyle. I know of stories in Calgary, for instance, where young girls are being taken to hotels in Airdrie to do, uh, and to meet you know, Johns and to, they make it home in time for supper and their parents or maybe their foster parents don't know. Recently, I don't know how many of you heard about this in the news, I think this was just in the last week, there was two people that were arrested here in Grand Prairie for trafficking a young woman from Toronto for the purposes of sexual exploitation here in Grand Prairie. I can tell you of in Cambodia where there are young children found as young as two, three, five years of age in the brothels in the sex tourist capital in Cambodia. 
I can tell you of a young girl that I met in Nepal when I was there this spring who came to our Gentle Heart Foundation, our, our program in Nepal, at the age of 11, and she was pregnant because she had been abused by one of her family members and kicked out of her village because she was seen as the problem. And I could go on and on and on and tell you horrific stories of human trafficking and the issues that it causes, both here in Alberta, and as you can see, it's, Grand Prairie is not exempt, here in Canada, as well as around the world. The average age that a young girl enters into the sex trade is 13 years of age. That is a stat that is not in the third world, that is a stat that is here in Canada, and that's also a stat that is in all around the world. And depending on where you are, it, goes, it gets a little younger. The average is 13. So I don't know how many 13-year-olds say, that's what I want to be when I grow up. There is a bit of the Coles Notes version of the issue of human trafficking. And I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time, because um, often I think we can hear these stats and we can hear these stories and think, I hope, I hope that for all of you, that you have not been affected by this, that you have not seen it, um, that, yeah, that this is not something that, is you, that you see all the time or that, yeah, you're not affected by it, if you know what I mean. But I, what can we do with this information? Now, I've told you these horrific stories. What can we do with that information? What, what does that do for our lives here in Grand Prairie, for me in Calgary? What does that change? Um, I want to spend a little moment looking at Jesus' response in this situation. And so we're going to look at Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. And the, I'll just go back to the photo there. Um, give a little bit of context. So this is the story where Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. He's at Simon's house. And he is there for a dinner party. And I want to just kind of, yeah, give you a bunch of context about that. So one of the things is that Pharisees or people in government would often host dinner parties as a, as a symbol of status. And they would recline at a table. You can see that they're reclining at the table. And often we read that they would, it was the inner circle, the VIPs, the invited guests that were at this table. But so often too, they would always invite people from, you know, anyone could come, but they could only stand in the courtyard and kind of see and listen in to the amazing conversation that was happening. There's no Snapchat, there's no TikTok, there's no Facebook at this time. You actually had to be there and listen in. So imagine this scene. The Pharisee has invited Jesus to dinner, and they are reclined at the table. But there is probably a group of people around that want to get in on this. And maybe the Pharisee invited Jesus because he was kind of famous at this point. Maybe he wanted to trip him up like we read about that the Pharisees try to do in the Gospels. But he invites Jesus, and his, he's a VIP at this table. I want you to place yourself in this story. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be at the VIP? Do you want to be standing on the outskirts? Do you want to be maybe the staff if they had someone that was serving the food? Just think about that for a moment. Where would you want to be in the story? And place yourself in the story as we read the Bible verse. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. A woman who lived a sinful life. What is the first thing that pops to your mind when we read this? 
think about what might come to mind. Commentaries, most commentaries agree that this was probably the town harlot. This was probably a prostituted woman in that town who had led a sinful life. And by all accounts, the fact that they said she lived a sinful life, that this is what most commentaries believe that she had done. That she may have forced, been forced to sell her body um, in order to survive. You may also know that women in that period did not have a lot of rights. If, maybe her husband passed away, and as a widow, she did not have sons to care for her, or family to care for her, so therefore she had no worth. Maybe she had never been married. Maybe, maybe, maybe. From what we know of the issue of human trafficking even today, is it's often a lack of choice that um, kind of propels women into this kind of lifestyle. Not necessarily that that's the life they chose. So there's many options as to why she has uh, been living a sinful life. There's temples at that time where prostitution was the way people worshipped in, in other culture or in other religious um, um, parts of the world there. So remember, you're still in the story. What are you thinking at this moment? A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped him with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, are you in the scene? Remember that they're lounging. So imagine that she kind of comes up towards the end of Jesus' feet, at the back of his feet. Maybe he doesn't see her coming. Everyone else does. Imagine you're in that dinner party and maybe someone who is obviously homeless or smelly or comes scantily clad into the dinner party and starts to do that. The Greek word for weeping here is kleo. I don't know how to say it. Um, but it means to wail out loud. This is, not, this is not our reserved kind of crying. This word for weeping is she is wailing out loud. She has let her ha hair down, which was a sign at that time of a woman who had been prostituted. The expensive perfume might have been part of her trade. The, the scene here is she is making a scene. She is wailing. Can you imagine Simon, the Pharisee? What is he thinking? What are you thinking, wherever you are in the story? Okay, let's get back to the story. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, according to the law at that time as well, if you were touched by someone who was unclean or a sinner, a prostituted person, you would be considered impure, you would be considered unclean, you would not be able to go into the synagogue, into the temple to worship. You would be disrespected in this way. So imagine Simon's horror. Imagine the people around, the gasps that are going through the crowd. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her, sin, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say to themselves, among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You're at this dinner party. Where are you? What are your judgments that are going through your mind? Have you ever had an event like this ruined by some unsightly person? Were you the host? Were you the invited guest? Were you a spectator in the courtyard? What were your, jo- what were your judgments of this person? Be honest with yourself. Was there sneers? Was there looks of judgment? Was there many people leaving, possibly? What are our views when we see these people? Now, it's easy for us to focus on the parable in this story, the being forgiven a bigger debt or not. And I want to focus on that question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman? Of course he saw this woman. Who didn't? But his question goes much deeper than this. Do you see her? Do you know what she has been through? Do you understand the life that she has led? Do you understand the meaning that she, of what she has done for me today? Do you see her? My husband and I were in Amsterdam uh, this spring, I guess, and we rented bikes and we just started, we're like, we're just gonna start riding. And we actually, I was trying to avoid the red light district. As many of you know, Amsterdam is famous for its red light district. And we were trying to avoid it. And all of a sudden, we ended up on the street. And I saw we were in the red light. I'm like, no. But I think God, God, maybe God had us there for a reason. And you could see all the signs had changed. And there was, it was in the middle of the day. It was about noon. And there was one woman in the window. And I stopped and I looked at her. But I didn't look at her, I looked into her face and into her eyes. And I was immediately struck by the pain and the hurt. And maybe because knowing what I know and seeing what I see, I was able to see her as a broken woman who was being sold on the daily. And that's not what a lot of people see when they come into that. They might see a young woman who well, this is a rough way for her to spend her life, or I hope she makes a lot of money. Like or, yay, I get to go and purchase her. So many people. But I, 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 it ruined the rest of my day, I have to say. But it, it also caused me to pray. And I just gave her a smile, and I just said this and this, and that was all I could do. And I prayed for her the rest of the bike ride that day. Do you see this woman? I said earlier that we don't often 
our impact. We aren't often impacted. We don't see this in our daily lives. Um, I haven't seen it, seen it in Calgary since I first moved there. And my boyfriend, now husband, lived downtown, and the street behind his apartment was actually one of the streets, this is 30 years ago, where there was prostituted women were standing there. You don't see that anymore because it's so much online. We don't. But do you see this woman? Do you care about her? Even if she is unphysically seen by you. <clears throat> the SA Foundation sees her. And we have seen her for over 30 years. And as I said, we are now in eight countries around the world. And the last time that I was here, I went through all the steps of the way in which we provide recovery for the women and the children that enter into our programs. We see her. The Church of Christ here in, in Grand Prairie has seen her because you have been supporting the mission of the SA Foundation for many years. Um, I believe that, I don't remember when Nepal actually started, but I know that this church was instrumental in helping to get that program off the ground. And I can tell you right now that the Nepal program has over 28 women and children in it, including the 10-year-old that I told you about, uh, or the 11-year-old that I told you about. She's not the only one um, that has come to us that young and, and with child. I can tell you that all of these women and their kids are receiving safe housing, love, job skills training. And the one young girl that I mentioned, um, or one of the young girls that came to us when she was 12 and, and she had a baby, she is now actually running a coffee shop with us at the age of 16. She does all the accounting for that. She, does, she helps with the sales of the coffee shop and making sure that the books are right at the end of the day. Her life has gone from hopelessness to one of hope and she is excelling. And that is because we have seen her and people like you have seen her and supported her in that journey. The Nepal program is such right now that we have trained the, all of the leaders in the Nepal program to be able to do assessments of other leaders that want to duplicate the program in the Asia area. It's one thing to take people from Nepal to our training center in Vancouver and try to, you know, kind of disseminate information in a completely different culture. So we are excited to have the Nepal program join us as an assessment center. And I'm really excited to tell you about the assessment that's going to be happening when we go back to Nepal in February. And we, are, we have a team in the Philippines that has started to, uh, with a program. And they, will, they are joining in the Nepal team to, um, to, we're assessing. As you can imagine, this work is not easy. We can't just have anyone hired off the street to say, okay, we wanna start a program for young girls who are escaping the sex trade. It takes a lot of foundational work. So we ask for three leaders in each of our programs. We ask them to go through a formation of servants program, which is a year long, almost like a 12 step program of, of are you, has God called you to this work? Because there's many days if you don't have a calling to this work, you would just walk away. So we assess if they've been called by God. We assess their, you know, they go through this whole formation of servants training, which is to develop this heart for the women to understand who we are, to understand that we are sinful, that we ultimately, God has called us to be servants of these young women and their kids. 
And so this, pro this new program in Philippines is going through that assessment right now. They're finishing up the formation of servants and they're gonna be traveling to Nepal to do their assessment and to get trained and equipped in our program there. They'll be able to see the program in action. They'll be able to see the beautiful bedrooms that we have for our girls, the safe place that they come to. They'll be able to meet the house mom that is in our program, who is a volunteer, who stays with the girls, helping them, teaching them about things that they never had parents to teach them about. They will see the jobs, the recovery program, the counseling that we do, how we run our group sessions. They will see the job skills training, the area in which we um, just allow girls to learn how God has, has made them, what gifts, what talents has he given them. Some of you have already seen the Global Wonders tables that were outside, or when you just came in the door, uh, through the main doors there. That is a product of our job skills training program, where young girls are trained in various vocational aspects. They are paid a fair wage to make all of the stuff that you see there, and 100% of the proceeds go back, goes back to them. It is, it is so important for them to learn a skill. The average age, I said, was that these girls are entering the sex trade in 13. Many of them come to us reading at a grade four, five, six level, if they can read at all. Most of them have not finished high school. My daughter, her first job, she hated it. And we told her, you have to stick it out because it's gonna teach you about who you are. And for some of our girls, they don't like the jewelry making or maybe they don't like the sewing or maybe they don't like the computer classes, but it's a stepping stone for them to see how God has made them. And many of them love it, and they work full-time with us in the Global Wonders production department. So the, the team from Philippines is going to come to Nepal, and they're going to see all that. And we are on track right now for them to open a house in the Philippines in 2024. There is a couple that is on our operational development team, and it's Ruth and her husband, and his name is escaping me, and I don't have it written down. Um, Ruth is actually a survivor of exploitation herself, and her husband is a pastor. They are a part of the team that will be leading up this organization in the Philippines to provide an SA Foundation recovery program there. They have five children. If God brings them to your mind, pray for Ruth and her husband. Maybe God will tell you his name too. He's not telling me right now. <laughs> pray for Ruth and her husband and her children as they start this new program in the Philippines. As it starts, as we're hoping to get it started in, in the fall of next year, pray that they would find a house that is worthy. Um, God is amazing. God provides these things for us all the time. But the power of prayer is what makes that happen as well. I'm gonna just show us a short video about uh, kind of where we're at in the Philippines and then we'll, we'll uh, finish on. The Philippines is an archipelago made up of over 7,000 islands near Indonesia, Malaysia, and Hong Kong. Tourists flock to the Philippines for its stunning beaches, waterfronts, and world-class hospitality. Sitting on top of a mountainous region in the Philippines is a city that beacons its warm light to all, Baguio City. Known for its beautiful scenery and relaxing landscape, the City of Pines has garnered itself the title as a summer capital of the Philippines. This city is a melting pot of culture, arts, among locals, students, and tourists. 
But the Philippines has a dark underside, where young kids and girls are sold into the sex trade. And hidden in the beauty of Baguio City is a red light district where both tourists and locals of the city can pay for sexual favors of all kinds. ECPAT estimated there are over 100,000 children being used for sex or sex videos. In Baguio City alone, there is an estimate of 3,000 sexually exploited women. Some came from impoverished backgrounds seeking for better opportunities to lift themselves and their families from poverty, while others succumbed to this business due to trauma, neglect, or even addiction. Poverty is often a factor that leads to this evil trade. Young women have a limited future in the Philippines, and so they seek work abroad, where they often get trapped in the sex trade and are sold and trafficked. The Servants Anonymous Foundation began its mission in 1989 and have a long-term objective, no person be enslaved by or trapped in the sex trade. Over 30 years of work has given 6,200 women and their children a chance to escape and recover from sexual exploitation. The Foundation's comprehensive training and development system help others to implement their highly successful program model around the world. Hope Haven is a non-profit organization in Baguio City that has adopted the SA program model so they can begin to help the young women in their city. A core team of leaders is currently undertaking stringent screening, evaluation, and training so they can be equipped to deliver this high-quality program. We are beyond thrilled to provide victims of sexual exploitation in Baguio the opportunity to build a new future as they heal, recover, and break the cycle of exploitation in the lives of their children. Over the remainder of this year and into 2024, the Hope Haven team will continue their training with SA with the goal of opening the first home and training center in the fall of 2024. Hope Haven needs all the help it can get to achieve these goals. The SA Foundation and Hope Haven are currently fundraising for the startup cost and the budget needed for the first year by engaging with companies, churches, and individuals that have the same passion to free women from their enslavement and break the cycle of abuse for their children. Join us in making an impact in Southeast Asia. With your help, we can make a difference for these young women. We encourage you to help us achieve our goal. Give, pray, and share this message with others. Hope Haven and the SA Foundation believe that every woman deserves a chance to escape and rebuild her life. Be a part of her freedom. So this is a video that we developed for our major fundraiser that is coming up uh, in the next month, I guess. And as you can see, we are excited to be in Baguio City in the Philippines. We are excited that our program in Vancouver is still providing job skills training and paid positions for survivors of exploitation. We are ecstatic that our team in Greece is now in the development stage of actually providing products for our Global Wonders Products of Hope, expanding their job skills training for the women in their program. We have three sites in, in uh, Germany that are providing safe housing for women that are able to escape the sex trade there. In Germany, I have a, a, a 
kind of a board outside that explains kind of some of the countries that we're in and what's happening there. In Germany, where prostitution is legalized, the demand is so high, but there is just no supply. So most of the women in the brothels of Germany have been trafficked from Africa, from Asia, um, from Eastern Europe to be able to, they, they, they just don't have enough people saying, yeah, pick me for that work. And we have three sites there in Germany. And you can see on that board all the places that we are. Like a church that wants to grow and to expand and maybe plant new churches, the SA Foundation is continuing to grow and expand and plant new sites. But we need people there that are able uh, to, to do that with us. And we rely 100% on donors and churches like yours that have been faithful, faithful partners with us for many years. Do you know how many years it's been? It's over 20. Over 20. I know the Nepal program is over 15 or almost 20 years old, and I know this church was so impactful in that. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the hearts of the girls that I have become good friends with in Nepal and in Vancouver who have benefited from our very, very successful recovery program. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you for your continued prayers. Pray for Ruth and her family as we embark on this mission to plant another program in the Philippines. Pray for our staff in Vancouver who are fielding calls every week from other people that want to start our program. The SA Foundation has over a 75% success rate of women not returning to exploitation. And in Nepal and in places where there's, like in Budapest where there's more poverty, our success rate is over 95%. And it's because of the way that Dominique, our founder, developed the program and the love and the support. But we can't do that without you. So I just want to, before I leave today, I want to ask you three things. I want to ask you to pray. As I said many times, pray for our teams. Pray especially for the Philippines, for a house, for the leadership team there. Continue as a church to support us. And if you as an individual would like to, we are always looking for, and we actually have a campaign right now, looking for monthly donors. Even $10 a month, if we have like a lot of people doing that, makes a huge difference for us because that for us means that we can budget accordingly knowing how much money is coming in. So if you would like to donate personally today or become a monthly sponsor, I invite you to uh, come and see me after. And then the third one, is you have the opportunity to respond today, if you would like, is to come and see me at the Global Wonders table. And um, you, can, you can see the work that the women have done. You can see the beautiful things that they have done that has provided so much worth to them. Can you imagine having been the commodity, having been the one that's purchased, and now you get to create beautiful things that other people will enjoy. It's impactful for our girls. So you can purchase something from the Global Wonders table knowing that 100% of the proceeds goes to her and that she was paid a fair wage to make it and you are continuing to support our program. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support of the SA Foundation. I enjoy coming up here. I think it's every two years that Mark calls me and says, hey, come and give us an update. I'm so thrilled to be with you this morning, and I can't thank you enough for the, um, how you guys have partnered with the SA Foundation. I look forward to talking to you afterwards, and uh, let's pray as we end. Heavenly Father, I am always in awe of 
what you have accomplished through Dominique, our founder, when you just told her, take care of my girls. And now how this has expanded. And Father, we just pray that you would, your spirit would lead and guide as we expand into the Philippines. I pray for Ruth and her husband. I pray that you would protect them from any means that the devil might have to stop this good work. I pray for their protection. I pray that you would provide a house for us in the Philippines and that the assessment and the training period would go as planned, that we would be able to open up. And I pray for those young girls in Baguio City that are going to benefit from our program, Father. We just pray that you would love on them today, that you would provide a respite for them in some way. And for all the girls in our program, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come alongside them and bring her comfort and bring her peace as she goes through the hard work of recovery. So God, we give this essay foundation to you. We leave it in your hands and use us to do your good kingdom work in this world. And we can address this just abysmal, horrible injustice. May we see her. May we see her, we pray. In your most holy name, amen.